Welcome to everyone. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. If you're guests uh, in worship today, welcome to you in the overflow. Perry, Oklahoma, Franklin Campus, we love all of you so much, so much, so very much, and we pray for you. We uh, ask you now to enter into worship with us by opening your Bibles to John chapter 3. We've just begun a, a message series entitled H2O. We're going through the Gospel of John, but we're tracking that theme of water. About any place in the Gospel of John you drill down deep enough, you'll hit water. It's, it's an important theme because it's basic to life. When you use the language of water, everybody understands it. Everybody relates to it because everybody needs water for life. So in the Gospel of John, Jesus is revealed to us in so many ways through this theme of, of, of water. And that's why we're looking at it as we are. John chapter 3, I'm going to start with a very important verse back in chapter 2. It's just going to be right there as you lead into chapter 3. This is kind of a pivotal verse in the Gospel of John. And it gives you some sort of preparation for the, the conversations that come next. Uh, John chapter 2, verse 23, because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him, but Jesus didn't trust in them. Now, that's interesting. Stop right there. A lot of people started to trust Jesus, but Jesus didn't trust them because he knew about human nature. The Greek says he, he knew what was in a man. He knew what was in a person. No one needed to tell him what a person was really like. Now, that's very, very important. Jesus knew everybody. And keep that in mind because he's about to have a private conversation with a man named Nicodemus. And then next chapter, he's going to have a private conversation with a woman in Samaria. These are strangers, you would think, to Jesus. He's never met them before. But the scripture prepares us for the very important fact that Jesus already knows the heart of everybody. He understands everybody. Body. Now that's more than you and I can say because there are people I, I don't understand. There are things in the world that I, I, I don't understand. We're just different. There are things about you that, that I just don't get and there are things about me that, that you just don't get. We just sort of have to sometimes scratch our heads at one another. Uh, the, the, one of the things right now I don't get are, are skinny jeans. Now, now there are some people who wear skinny jeans, I guess it's okay, it's probably you, and, and you look fine, and I'm, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about other people that probably shouldn't wear them. If you're in high school, maybe. If you have a rock band, maybe. If, if you're Ashton Kutcher, maybe. But if you're me, no, no. If you're Joe Neal, probably not, probably not. Kelly, no, no, no. Most of us just probably should steer clear, but then some people go straight toward the skinny jeans. I don't, I don't, I don't get that. I don't get sports. How many sports people in the room? Yeah, everybody but me. I, I don't know if I'm missing that chromosome. I, I just don't, I don't understand sports at all. I, I go to games. I, I do. I've gone to some of your games. I love you guys. I love my own son. I've gone to my own son's soccer games, and I would just sit there in case you go, great, did you see that? No, I, I don't know what it is. I sit there at the game and my eyes are open, but I forget to watch. I don't know. I don't know what I'm looking at. I just, I don't know. I glaze over. I, I don't get sports. I don't get soap operas at all. And I believe they're dying out. They're just disappearing. Praise the Lord. They're just almost gone. But, but some of you like those. I was at the hospital one day in the waiting room from surgery. Okay, and there was this lady and her friend, and they were waiting because her husband was in surgery. And while she was waiting, her story came on, her, her soap opera. 
okay? So I'm sitting here, and this woman and her friend, her husband's in surgery, but she's really into this soap opera. I mean, really into it. And on this soap opera, which honestly I kind of got into for a moment there, this guy w- was buried alive. I bet he was buried alive. And then it was like, you know, we took a commercial break, and he's like up to his neck. He's buried alive, and you don't know if he's going to live or die. You know, it's a soap opera. He's going to live or die. And, and the lady and her friend and me are just, you know, on this soap opera. Well, about the time that he's buried alive, they come over to the speaker and say, you know, you know, Carmichael family, you know, come to the desk. Her husband's out of surgery. And she says, she actually cusses. She says, wouldn't you know it? Her husband was getting out of surgery, but she was really more interested in the guy buried alive on her soap opera. Wouldn't, wouldn't you know it? Yeah. yeah. Wow. I, I, don't, I don't get soap operas. I, I just don't understand. I, I, don't, I know the ladies are wearing the scarves these days, the unnecessary scarves, and women wear a lot of unnecessary things. But, but, but the guys wearing unnecessary scarves, you ever see guys at the mall with a scarf on inside? I, I, I don't get that. I, I just don't. I, I, I don't. And there are things about me that you don't get, and that's just what I'm saying. We look at other people sometimes, and they just seem so strange and incomprehensible. But this is what the Scripture says about Jesus. He knows everybody from the inside out. He loves you. He gets you. Do you understand? He gets you. And when Jesus encounters a man named Nicodemus one night, and it's interesting that he only seems to come out at night, When Jesus meets Nicodemus, he knows him, he he gets him, and Jesus knows precisely what Nicodemus needs to hear in order to believe. Nicodemus is a religious man who needs to learn to know Jesus. My hunch is I'm speaking to a number of people, religious people today, who need to learn to know Jesus. So Listen to the word of the Lord from John chapter 3. Most famous verse in all the Bible is in this chapter, John chapter 3, verse 16. If you never knew until now, you're about to find out the very first man who heard these words, and his name was Nicodemus. John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? He knows something about Jesus. That sounds pretty good. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are, say the words, born again. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Underline that phrase, born of water and of spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. I like the King James. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, You are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. 
I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Listen, no one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Jesus said that. I love that. Jesus said that. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. And take your seats. Verse 22, the next verse says, Then Jesus and his disciples left. I want to know what happened. I want to know what Nicodemus said. I want to know if Nicodemus ever came to believe. I I want to know that. But the scripture just stops right there in the middle of what Jesus said. And we don't know. We don't know what Nicodemus did. We know he had a hard time understanding this. There was a kid who recently came home from college. It was his freshman year. Uh, He was already falling in the habit of coming home only occasionally, and then with the gigantic carload of laundry, he would bring all of his laundry home for mom to do. And mom decided that this needed to be nipped in the bud right now. And so she decided that if she had failed to do it before this point, she was going to teach this boy to do his own laundry. And so she put the boy in the laundry room with the laundry, and she went and sat down in her chair, and she said, do it yourself. Just do it, son. Just, just, Just do it yourself. So anyway, he was paralyzed. He's looking at the washing machine. He's paralyzed. This is like an honor student, paralyzed by a washing machine. He just couldn't figure it out. So he said, Mom, Mom, do I wash it in hot or cold water? She said, what are you washing? He said, shirts. He said, do I wash them in hot or cold water, Mom? She said, son, just look at the shirt. Look at the shirt. It's just quiet. He's in there. And he says, Mom, hot or cold? Hot or cold? She said, Son, just read this shirt. What does this shirt say? It's quiet for a minute. And he said, Kentucky Wildcat. <laughs> you see, some of us are, are very literal, just very literal people, and, and, and it's hard for us sometimes to understand, but, but because we just think very literally, very concretely, what does this shirt say? Kentucky Wildcat. I mean, it's just very difficult for some of us to, to, to get beyond a, a certain level, and, and Nicodemus is that kind of person. Do you see that? 
Nicodemus is a literal kind of guy. But understand, Jesus knows Nicodemus. He knows how his brain works. He knows his heart. Jesus knows exactly what Nicodemus needs to hear in order to come to faith. Jesus knows. And so this conversation is sort of a loaded, a loaded conversation because Jesus already knows everything about Nicodemus. He knows the questions, and he knows the questions behind the questions. And that's what's kind of interesting. In these conversations in the Gospel of John, we'll look at several, but this is the first. You'll notice how Jesus is just sort of very unpredictable in a conversation like this. Nicodemus will ask a question, and then Jesus will come out with an answer that seems to be totally unrelated. Nicodemus will ask a question, or Nicodemus will make a response, and Jesus will say something that seems to come totally in another door. And this is simply how Jesus operates. Jesus isn't always just having a conversation. There's something deeper going on. Jesus is probing this man for faith. He's probing this man for faith. Now notice what Jesus says. Notice how he wraps up this, this whole conversation because it's interesting. He starts talking about how judgment is based on the fact that God's light came into the world. Now that's how the Gospel of John begins with John the baptizer and that wonderful proclamation that, 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 that the light had come into the world that, but that people didn't recognize it. That the light shines in the darkness and the darkness never seems to comprehend it. So understand this theme of light becomes very important. But we're introduced to Nicodemus in one very interesting way. Nicodemus, it says, is a religious leader who was a Pharisee who came to Jesus when? At night. He comes at night. The light is shining in the world, but Nicodemus, this religious man who knows about Jesus, who's seen some of Jesus' miraculous signs, he seems drawn to Jesus, he seems interested, a little bit curious, but he still comes at night. He comes at night and says, Jesus, uh, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you're Born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? Again, you gotta, you got to feel a little bit sorry for this old man. He's never heard this phrase. You've heard born again all of your life. You've heard about people getting born again, and that's just part of how Christians speak. But Nicodemus has never heard that. This is the first time that phrase is uttered, and it's Jesus uttering it. And Jesus says, unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God. Remember, all Nicodemus says is, Jesus, I've heard about you. You're great. I believe God is with you. And this is how Jesus responds. He says, unless you're born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God. It just blows his mind. It blows his mind. He says, how can a man crawl back inside his mother? I mean, he's, he's literal. He, he's thinking literally. How do you try to explain spiritual things to, to a literal mind like Nicodemus? Well, well, you do what Jesus does. You try to use familiar things. Jesus is talking to a literal brain, and so he uses concrete things. He's trying to speak about spiritual reality, and the only thing he has, the only vocabulary that Jesus has is an earthly vocabulary. So he talks about birth and water. 
He talks about wind. He talks about light. He uses these words, these concepts that Nicodemus ought to understand. But when Jesus uses them, understand, he's breaking these words open. New meaning is just, is just gushing out. It's more than Nicodemus can take. He's blowing his mind. Unless you're born again, Jesus says. Jesus says this. You will never see the kingdom of God. How can this be, Nicodemus says? How can this be? Jesus says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can produce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Let's think about that for a moment because this is Jesus talking about salvation. No one, no one comes into the kingdom unless they're born of water and, and the spirit. He, he's talking about birth, this image of birth, but there's a, a water birth and there's a, a spirit birth. What's he talking about? What's, what's Jesus talking about? There's some who read that, that first phrase, water birth, and they say that Jesus might be talking about like physical birth here. The fact that before a baby is born, what's the first thing that happens? The... Water breaks, yeah. So there's this sense that we're born with this gust of water. And maybe Jesus is talking about physical birth here, uh, about a, a water birth, talk, talking about, uh, about when a person is born. But, but I'm doubting that simply because we're reading the fourth gospel. And if you're going to read and interpret the fourth gospel, you should probably sort of keep the terms, keep the vocabulary that, that John uses in the way he uses it. And remember last week, remember when John the baptizer was talking, he says, I am here and I'm going to baptize you with, with water. I'm going to baptize you with water, but there is one who comes after me who is greater than me, and he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so see, water and spirit have already been put together, already been put together in the context of baptism. And I think it's probably wisest to leave them in the context of baptism. I think Jesus is talking about baptism here. Unless a person is, is born of water, it's baptism. Now, I know you Baptists are getting really nervous right here because we as Baptists have always believed that it's not baptism that saves us, and it's not. It's not. I don't believe that Jesus here is saying that, that baptism, that the act of, of getting baptized is what saves a person. I don't believe that. If I believe that all that was necessary for all of you to be saved was just to go through that water, I promise you, if you walk too close, I'd push you in. I would just push you in. If I thought that that's all it took, was for you to take a trip through that water, I would just push you in. I would hose you down as you walk to your car. If it was just a matter of going through the water. So, so understand, it's deeper than that. It's more than that. Unless you were born of water and of spirit. Born of water and of spirit. So keep these things together. John the baptizer said, I baptize you with water, but there is one who is greater than me, and he baptizes you with with the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. So if there's a, a water birth and a spirit birth that are necessary for salvation, the Gospel of John teaches us that, that what the Spirit does is the most important. That is the greatest baptism. And that is a baptism that you only find in Christ. It is Jesus who baptizes with the Spirit. Now, we Baptists have always been really, really fond of, of reminding everybody that the word baptize, but baptizo actually means to immerse. We want to make sure the Methodists understand it's immersion all the way down, baby. We're going to nearly drown you, and that's baptism. 
But you understand, the word baptism means more than that. It's more than just immersion. It's more than just going all the way down. That Greek word, baptizo, that, that means immerse. It's the same word that, that you could use to talk, about, to talk about what you would do to preserve vegetables. We would use the word pickle. We would use the word pickle. In other words, baptizing is more than just getting dipped in water. It's this immersion that sort of transforms you in the way that if you take cucumbers and you slice them up and you put them in brine, salt water with some sugar, and you just immerse them in that bath of, of brine and you soak them, they're not really cucumbers anymore. They're something else. They're transformed. They're pickled. And that's the Greek idea behind baptism. It's not that you just go down and come back up more or less the same. You go down and in the spirit baptism, once you're immersed, you don't come back out. You're not dipped in the spirit one time and then free to live your life. You're immersed in the spirit and that is your new way of being in the world. And there is a transformation that happens in this spirit immersion, in this spirit birth. There's an absolute transformation. There is a spiritual kind of pickling. You will never be the same. You will never, ever be the same. Jesus says, unless a man be born of water and of the spirit, these two things, and the spirit birth only comes through the Son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Unless you're born again, you will never, never see the kingdom of heaven. Brother Tim, what exactly does that mean? I think I was born again. I can tell you that, that back in 1937, in my grandma's church, I believe it was after Bible school, I walked the aisle and I shook the preacher's hand, and that's when I got saved. Fair enough. Fair enough. But is that all you got? I mean, I don't mean to be disrespectful. I don't know your heart, but is that all you got? If we're going to talk about your salvation, is that all you got? A single experience 30 years ago in some church, maybe your grandma's church, maybe a preacher, maybe not a preacher. Is that all you got? Because if that's all you have to talk about, I would ask you to rethink this salvation thing. Is that all you got? An experience sometime years ago? Because I'm not too sure about that. I'm not trying to make you doubt your salvation. I, I'm not. But let's think about your salvation for a moment. Let's think about it. How would you know if you've been reborn? How would you know that you've been born again? Because I'm convinced that you can know this. How would you know? How would you know? Well, let's go back to Jesus' analogy of a of, of physical birth. How would you know that you've been born in the first place? How would you know? If you came to me and said, Brother Tim, I'm just not sure I've been born. How, how can I know that I'm born? What would I say? Would I say, go get me your birth certificate? I want to see the birth certificate. Bring me your birth certificate, and then we'll know if you were born. Would I say that? No, because the birth certificate's beside the point. I would just say, well, are you alive? If you're alive, then you were born. 
And I think the same thing is true with being born again. It is not that we were bad people, that Jesus makes good people. That's not salvation. It is that we were dead people that Jesus makes to come alive. We were dead and we come alive. So if you really want to know if you're born again, that becomes a question. Are you alive? Are you spiritually alive? Don't tell me about one experience you had with Jesus 30 years ago. If that's all you got, I'm not sure that's salvation. I'm just not sure. It's not my place to judge, but why don't you judge yourself? Is that all you've got? A moment, a fleeting moment in your entire life? I'm not sure about that because I don't think that's what the Bible describes as salvation. I don't think that's what salvation is. It's a coming to life. It's a being reborn. It's a total transformation. One moment on your knees 20 years ago, one tearful night at camp, is that all you got? Are you alive now? Are you living the Christian life now? Are you a Christian now? Unless you're born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. Are you alive now in the spirit? Flesh gives birth to flesh, Jesus says. Spirit gives birth to spirit. So think about the life you're living. Do you understand? The measure of your Christian life is not your church life. It's your life. It's your life, your whole life. Not just asking if you come to church. Not just asking if you're religious. I'm asking about your whole life. You measure your faith by your life, not just your church life. So look at your life. Jesus says flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. So just look at your life. Are you living a life of the flesh or are you living a life in the spirit? If your life looks like everybody else's life, every other human life, then you really need to question whether or not you've been born again. Are you alive in the spirit? Or are you just living a dead flesh life like everybody else? Flesh gives birth to flesh, my friend. And most people live in the flesh. Except those who are born again. Because you're born in the spirit. And spirit gives birth to spirit. And it's a very different kind of life. Twelve-year-old girl in church. Her name is Katie. She had been in church all of her life, but at 12 or 13, she said that God's word came alive. God's word came alive. It's, 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 it's the point where when you open the Bible, it's not that you read the Bible. It's where the Bible starts to read you. And that started happening to Katie at about the age of 12 or 13. The Bible started reading her, and she began to find herself in, in the pages of Scripture. And, and the Holy Spirit got a hold of her. And Spirit gives birth to Spirit. She was in many ways kind of a normal teenager. She, she grew up in the church but still loving Jesus and, and growing to, to just love him more and more and, and more. And by the time she was 16, she was eating dinner with her parents one night, and she said, Mom, Dad, I think God has something for my life. I mean, I think God has something big for my life. I, I, I'm thinking foreign missions. Her parents nearly choked. 
But they just said, well, honey, that's just great. We're glad you love the Lord. We're glad you love Jesus. You just keep on going to church. We'll all pray that, that, that you find the path for your life. And they're thinking, God, no, not foreign missions, not foreign missions. Man, it just got a hold of Katie. I mean, the Lord got a hold of Katie. Has anything like that ever happened to you? This is the point. Anything like this ever happened to you? Because, because she was an ordinary girl who was from Brentwood, Tennessee, who was homecoming queen, and she was class president, and she drove a yellow sports car convertible, and she had a cute boyfriend, and she loved blue jeans, and she loved to go to the mall like everybody else. Flesh gives birth to flesh, and she loved to sit on the cabinet in her, in her mom's kitchen and eat a chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream. And, and be with her friends. And she loved to watch Grey's Anatomy. But you know what? In the end, Katie loved Jesus more. She loved Jesus more. Her senior year of high school, she said, Mom, Dad, I'm thinking that I'm not supposed to go to college. I need to go to Uganda. Now listen, her parents were godly folks who took their daughter to church, but they weren't ready for Uganda, and especially her throwing college away. I mean, no college, what do you mean? I mean, this girl is a smart girl, one of the smartest girls ever, and she's saying no, no college. So they start bargaining with her, Katie, why don't you just do a, a short-term trip, maybe a short-term trip over Christmas, but here's a condition, you can only go if you get an adult to go with you. And they thought that was good because no adult's going to go over Christmas break. They're not going to get an adult to go. And sure enough, she couldn't get an adult to go. Katie couldn't get anybody to go with her. So finally she begged her mother, Mama, go with me, just go with me. And Katie and her mother went to Uganda over Christmas break. And they volunteered at an orphanage. And Katie held babies and changed diapers and told them that Jesus loved her. And she walked in that red dirt in Uganda, and, and the red dirt stained her feet and will never wash off. And the minute she says she stepped off the plane in Brentwood, Tennessee, she knew she had to go back. She knew she had to go back. Oh, she loved her boyfriend. It was her high school sweetheart. They were going to go to college together, and, and they were going to get married but she loved Jesus more. Do you understand? She loved Jesus more. Her parents could not, could not deal with the fact that this is what their daughter was saying she was called to do. Her friends were trying to talk her out of it. Katie, don't go. You can't, you can't do this. Katie Davis, right out of high school, moved to Uganda. A girl, an 18-year-old girl, by herself, by herself. And that's where she still is. She's adopted 13 babies. She's adopted 13 babies. And she lives in a hut. And she sleeps under a net to keep the malaria-infested mosquitoes away from her. And before she climbs between her sheets, she has to get lizards out of her bed. And there is a rat that lives in her hut that is the size of a house cat. 
And sometimes she says she goes to bed and she just gets in a ball and she cries and she misses home so much. She misses her friends. She misses the mall. She misses blue jeans and she misses her little yellow convertible. She misses her boyfriend. But she loves Jesus more. And the joy in serving him the joy in, in sharing Jesus' love with these children who are starving, the joy of having these little children call her mama outweighs everything, everything that the world has to offer. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You want to know if you've been born again? Let's look at your life. What is the fruit of, of your life? Are you living a fleshly life? Do you just wake up in the morning and do what you want to do? When you wake up in the morning, is your, is your agenda set by Christ, by the will of God, or is your agenda just set by your own desires? Are you living a life of the spirit or a life of the flesh? The scripture says you must be born again, born of water and born of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. If you're born again, there shouldn't be a question. It's not a matter of going back and looking at the experience and sharing the birth certificate with the world. If you're born again, there will be a spiritual life, a, a spiritual life, a transformation. You will never be the same. I know John 3.16 makes it sound simple, and it is simple. Whosoever believes. Whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That sounds simple. And it is simple. It is simple. It's simple enough that any child can understand it. It's simple. Those words aren't too hard to understand. But you really got to understand what, what believe means. Nicodemus walks up to Jesus and the very first words out of his mouth are, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Well, he sounds like a believer there. He's at least using religious language. He sounds like a believer. The point is he's not. He's not. He has not put his faith in Christ. He doesn't even truly know who Jesus is. He's got some religion. He's got a lot of knowledge, but he doesn't have saving faith yet. Nothing that you could call life-changing, transformational belief. When the scripture says belief, it's not just to say that you've been to Sunday school and you've learned about Jesus. It's great that you've learned about Jesus, it's not enough that simply you know all the answers to the questions. If someone says, who is Jesus? And you can say, Jesus is, is the Son of God. He, he died for our sins. You may know the answer to all of the questions. But knowing the answers to the questions is not the same as, as believing. To believe here is not just to have some awareness of or some knowledge of. When the scripture says believe, it's much deeper than that. It's much more life-changing than that. It means that you are going to take this fact of salvation in Christ and you make that the foundation of your life. If you believe this, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, if you believe that he who comes to him will have everlasting life, if you believe that, then that belief changes everything about your life. You can't continue to believe that he is the Lord of everything, the Lord of all, but yet you do not surrender your life to his lordship. To believe in him changes everything. To believe in him completely upends your life. 
It's an absolute transformation. This is no casual, easy thing. I just would love to know what he said. I mean, Nicodemus at the end of this, I just want to know what he said, but, but for some reason the scripture just doesn't, doesn't tell us. Well, there's, there's one more thing. Look, look back at the end of the gospel, the gospel of John chapter 19, I believe. John chapter 19, verse 38. It's night again. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus. A, a, a what? A secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders. He asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came, say the name, Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial customs, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices and long sheets of linen cloth. Nicodemus came back the night that Jesus was taken off the cross and he personally wrapped the body with spices and sheets of linen cloth. Nicodemus came back at night and buried Jesus. Was he a believer? We still don't know. But there's just that little clue for me the fact that he only seems to come to Jesus at night. It seems not to look too good for his faith that, that he only seems to believe part-time. We don't know about him. We, we don't know what he decided. When he heard those words, unless you are born of water, and of spirit, unless you be born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God. Flesh gives birth to flesh, Jesus told him. Spirit gives birth to spirit. You're a teacher of the Jewish religion. You don't understand these things for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And we don't know what Nicodemus said. You know why I think the writer of this gospel just sort of stops the story right there? Because it sort of takes Nicodemus out of the picture and it puts you right there in his place. You understand? At the end of Jesus' long red letter speech there about salvation and being born again, there's room for response, but it's no longer just Nicodemus' response. The response called for now is, is your own. In this moment sitting right here, it's less important whether or not Nicodemus believed. That matters for Nicodemus, but what matters here most of all for you and me is that when you read this scripture, when you hear the words of Jesus saying, whosoever believes, what really matters is what you say. What really matters 
is how you respond. Pray with me. Oh God, there is a young girl in Uganda loving babies in the name of Jesus because she said that as much as she loved her world back home, she loved loved you more. God, when we see a person who is so captivated by you, so captured, so thoroughly converted, so strong in belief, Lord, it makes all of us begin to question. Lord, you have said that it requires a a new birth, a a brand new start, something that flesh cannot cannot conceive, Lord. It's something that can only come as a gift, as a gift of grace from the Spirit. And Lord, this is what we need. This is what we need. And all that is called for is our belief. Lord Jesus, I pray for those in the sound of my voice. I pray for people in this house. I pray for the overflow in the Franklin campus. I, I pray, Lord, for people everywhere that they would hear the invitation of Jesus Christ and and believe, not just learn to, to quote verses, not just learn to answer people at church, Lord, but to believe, to believe from the bottom of their hearts, to believe to the point that it wrecks and recreates their lives. Oh, Lord Jesus, make us a congregation of true believers. Lord, we are religious people who only come out at night. We only follow you, Lord, when people aren't watching or when it's convenient for us. Lord Jesus, capture our hearts so that our belief, our faith absolutely sets our lives on fire. Oh God, we claim to be people of a new birth, but we live lives of the flesh. We live human lives like everyone else. Oh, Lord Jesus, flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. Lord Jesus, I pray that something spiritual happen in this house today. Something spiritual come, Lord, as we now gather on our own knees and fall on our faces before you. Lord, I pray that a genuine spiritual immersion will happen in our lives. I pray that teenagers in this church get so on fire for you, Lord, that it begins to scare their parents. I pray, Lord, that parents would become so on fire for you, Lord, that it begins to totally transform families. I pray, Lord, that senior adults, that senior adults get so on fire for what you're going to do next, Lord, that they postpone all retirement, that they postpone dying, Lord, just for the benefit of seeing what you're going to do in the world. Oh, Lord Jesus, bring us to life, new life. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. We say the word so easily. I pray that whosoever believes in you, oh, Lord, shall not perish, but have ever lasting new life. Oh, Jesus, bring us to life. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen.